We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. So if you're new around here, we've been in a series to the book of Philippians. The series is called Archetypes. Archetypes is a, is a specific type of a, a thing. It, it describes a typical thing or place or, or, or something. So that is what an archetype is. And this series in Philippians, we're discovering an individual who is an archetype of joy. He was a typical example of what joy is. And so this individual who's writing this letter, his name is Paul, and he's actually writing it from jail. He's writing it chained to a Roman guard every day, 24 hours a day. He can't go to the bathroom by himself. He can't go visit with his friends by himself. His friends have to come and see him. And in this moment, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. Because Roman jails were not to punish you. They were holding cells for either your release or your execution. But yet through all of this, this guy has this incredible joy, and he's teaching this church that he's writing these letters to, the church in Philippi that he planted, that he formed, saying, hey, listen, even though I'm in chains, I'm still in joy. Even though I'm in pain, I'm still in joy. And we're reading this text, finding out how we truly can also become archetypes of joy in this life of suffering, of pain, in this crooked and twisted generation that we're living in, how can we still have joy? How many would need just a little, just want a little bit more joy in your life? I want a little bit more joy in your life. So that's what we've been studying through, uh, through Philippians, how we can become archetypes of joy. Last week, we challenged each other, because I was challenged too. I thought the challenge was only for you. We challenged each other. Uh, we, we, we challenge ourselves to adopt the mindset of Christ. And if you've been following on with the series, uh, you know exactly where we're at. If, you, if you're discovering this for the first time, this is part five. If you're discovering this for the first time, I want to invite you to go to YouTube. Go check out the sermons uh, beforehand. It, it all leads up to this point. You'll get caught up. And I believe that they were really good. Are they, have they been good, guys? Have they been all right? So last week in part four, we adopted the mindset of Christ, the way Jesus lived submitted. We talked about having the submissive mind. So chapter one was all about having a single mind, being focused on what God is doing in and through you and trusting the process. Uh, This chapter in chapter two, we're talking about having the submissive mind and allowing yourself to be submitted fully and truly to what God has and is doing inside of you. Being fully submitted and not trying to puff yourself out, not trying to make yourself be the the center of attention, but truly humbling yourself so that you can take the form of a servant and serve others because that's what Jesus did. Jesus lived submitted. He never held self-interest as his way of life. Living in this culture where you can have it your way and you can just do it. And it's my life, and I can do what I want to, and I can be whoever I want to and say whatever I want to say. He humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself, emptying himself on the behalf of others, 
and it led to an incredible joy. Incredible expression of joy. In fact, I, I really want to read it. So if you've got your Bibles, I don't know, we don't have this on the screen because we already moved on. But if you've got your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 5 just to catch you up. It says, this is Paul writing to this church. He says, have the same mind among you that was in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how do we adopt the same mind that was in Jesus Christ? How do we become, first of all, servants of all? How do we become individuals who live with a submitted, submissive mind that submits fully to what God has for us, what he's doing in us, and where he's taking us to? How do we actually do it? That's what we're talking about today. And we go on right in verse 12. He says, therefore... After he tells them, have this same mind that was in Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I've always loved this text because the verse that comes after it, overachiever, don't go read it right now because somebody just, as soon as I said that, they were like, ooh, what's he going to say next? It's coming. I've always loved this text because this is a setup. Paul is actually setting us up uh, by, by teaching us something right now. He says, therefore, as you've seen this example of Christ, therefore, as you've seen the submission of Christ, therefore, have you seen as, uh, as Christ been exalted, therefore, my beloved. Now, I, I want to do a little quick side note here. This is a pastoral text. Remember, this is a pastor talking to his church. And he calls them my beloved. He's like, I'm not writing this to antagonize you. And so can I tell y'all, my beloved, I don't preach these messages to beat you up. I've gotten a couple of text messages from people like, boy, pastor, you know, you're coming for me. I don't do it because I'm mad at you. I'm not doing this because I'm holding a, a, a grudge or, or something against you. I'm doing this because I love you. We've got to be men and women of the word of God. I don't want to force you into a, 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 an obedient Christianity that's based off of pressure. It's about a faithful Christianity that's based off of discipleship, that really connects to the heart of God. And so I had a sit down with another buddy of mine, and he was telling me, he was just like, you know, I love your preaching, man. Love your messages. Love it. But, you know, can you go a little easy? Because let me tell you, uh, the people who you're talking to, uh, these people, they're with you, man. They're, they're, They're with you. You gotta, you gotta go easy. Take it a little easy because they're with you. And so here's the deal. Just like when I preach the gospel, 
And I can't assume everybody in this room is saved. When I preach the Word of God, I can't assume that everybody is on mission with the Word of God. And so, like I said, my beloved, (laughs) I'm not preaching to try to hurt your feelings. I'm preaching so that we can all take this thing seriously and really become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. You're welcome, Angie. These are people who he loves. Just like as a pastor, I love you guys. Don't tell me you love me, though. (laughs) If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. He says this, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed me, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. He uses this word obey. You've obeyed in the past, as you've always obeyed. Can I tell you, obedience is evidence of faith and trust in God. When you're living submitted to the word of God, when you're living trusting the word of God, you will obey his word. That's why Jesus says, keep, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey what I've said. And let me give you the first point just from today off the outset. The first sign of having a submissive mind, and if you don't exactly know what that is, again, go catch last week's message. The first sign of a submissive mind is obedience to God's word. That's how you know you're you're beginning to live submitted to all God has. Listen, can I tell you, Jesus, let me tell y'all something, Christians, real quick. (laughs) Jesus didn't die on the cross because he loved you. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he had the warm and fuzzies for you. If you go back to verse 8 in Philippians, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Christ's death on the cross was an act of love from the Father for the Father. Remember, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what he says. If this cup can be taken away from me, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus died out of obedience. Oh, that just changes it for some of y'all. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the pastor just said that. Jesus died out of obedience and love for the Father. Obedience is the first sign of the submissive mind. Jesus modeled obedience to us, that even when it gets uncomfortable, even when it's something I don't necessarily want to do, I'm going to do it because I trust my Father, I trust where he's leading me, I trust what he's asking me to do, and so I'm going to go all the way, even to the point of death, out of obedience to God. He says, as you've always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he says, work out, not work for your salvation. There's a huge difference. 
Working for your salvation is something you can't do. For by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, which is a gift so that no man can boast. You can't work for your salvation. You can't make God love you any more than he already does. In fact, God loved you before you even knew that you loved him or you wanted him or that even before you knew that he loved you because he sent his son to die on the cross 2,000 years to die for you in 2022. You can't work your way to salvation, but you can work out your salvation. So what does this mean? So this term, those back in the day who were hearing this term, work out uh, your salvation, it gives this picture of a mine. Like if you're in a diamond mine and you're out there mining for diamonds, the last thing you want to do is stop short. Because I know if I'm mining for diamonds, they tell me there's a hundred million dollars of diamonds here. I'm not going to stop at a hundred thousand. I'm not going to stop at 80,000. I'm going to try to get the whole 100 million. And listen, our salvation has already been wrought in Jesus Christ. It's already complete, but we get to cultivate it and get more out of it and experience more of God and see God work out in our way in such a way that I can't even fathom all that God has for me. So he's saying, work out your salvation. Hey, hey, work it out, cultivate it. Continue to mine out what God has for your life. And notice he says, work out your own salvation. Hello, somebody. Work out your own salvation. Don't work out your neighbor's salvation. Don't work out your child's salvation. Don't work out your parents' or your siblings' salvation. Work out your own salvation. Quit worrying about somebody else. Worry about yourself. I love this little video on Facebook. My wife shares it to me at least once a year. This little girl is in the back seat, and she's trying to put on her seatbelt, and she's struggling to put on the seatbelt. And I don't know if it's the dad or the mom. It says, hey, hey, let me help you. And she says, no, I got it. It says, but I, I need to help you because you can't do it. And she says, worry about yourself. That's what Paul said. Quit trying to put somebody else's seatbelt on. You make a terrible Holy Spirit. All you're going to do is mess it up. Work out your own salvation. Cultivate your own salvation. You know, when you're running a race, we got runners in the room. We got Danae. Oh, he did a marathon. Come on, celebrate this man. Did you finish? Did you finish? Okay, yeah, we're celebrating on per Okay, good, good, good. I didn't want to celebrate. He didn't finish. He's like, oh, but I didn't finish. I'm like, oh, we're taking that back. We're taking that back. But if you're running the race and you're getting close to the end, the worst thing you can do is try to look back or try to level up with somebody who's next to you. You got to stay focused on the prize because if you look over, it's slowing down your momentum. You start being so worried and saying, oh, my gosh, maybe they're catching up to me. Oh, my gosh, they're not running fast enough. Or, oh, my gosh, you stop focusing on the prize ahead. Your mind starts to slow down to catch up with this person who's behind you. Work out your own salvation. Quit worrying about the person next to you. The reality is Ephesians 2.10, what does it say? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things that he planned for us long ago. 
We are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Elijah, you're God's workmanship. Allison, you're God's workmanship. Can't be worried about the workmanship in Janiah. You can't be worried about the workmanship in Joy. I can't be worried about the workmanship in Mike. I got to worry about my, my own workmanship that God has created inside of me. And this is the beautiful thing about God. God is creative. All of us have been created individually. Listen, no snowflake is the same, just like no human being is the same. Listen, um, I saw this post. If God created you to be like somebody else, he wouldn't have created you. Because that person already exists. You, your own self, are God's masterpiece. We're not all the same, so you can't be worried about somebody else's journey. You can't be worried about somebody else's struggles. I love this. We're all called to be like Christ, but must be ourselves. Did you catch that? We're all called to be conformed to the image. You're supposed to look like Christ, Taya, but you're supposed to look like yourself. You can't look like Christ in Danae. You can model Danae's Christ-likeness, but we need Taya's version of Christ-likeness. Are y'all catching this? You can admire somebody, you can learn from somebody, but God has called you to be individually yourself. That's why here at Relevant Church, what do we say? Authenticity is the only requirement. It's about unity, not uniformity. We talked about that last week. And he says, work it out in fear and trembling. This is not about just being scared of God. Work out your own salvation. Fear and trembling means this, in awe and wonder, like, oh, my gosh, God would pick me. God would choose me. God would choose to make me his masterpiece. I'm special. I am set apart. God uniquely shapes me. I get to look at myself with fear and trembling. How awesome is this God who is so transcendent, who is way far beyond all that we can ask, think, or imagine. This, this God who stands outside of time and space would think of an insignificant planet in the greater cosmos and choose the insignificant people who are significantly always rebellious to him, handpick me and say, I'm going to place my life in you. I'm going to send my son to die for you, and I'm going to rebuild my life through you. And you get to be an expression of who I am. Work out your salvation, your own salvation, not anxiously trying to win God over, but with awesome wonder that he would actually pick you. You guys following Verse 13, oh, this is one of my favorite scriptures in all of Bible. Look at the setup. Therefore, my beloved, verse 12, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Come on, somebody, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What are you saying, Paul? He says, for it is God who works within you to will and to do his good pleasure. Work out your own fear, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. But guess what? You ain't got to do it by yourself. Guess what? You can't even do it by yourself. Why? Because it is God who's working inside of you to work it all out. Can I tell you, this freed my life when I read this. That I couldn't even want to do what God has for me without him working within me. I wouldn't even know where to start. It has to be God working his life through me. That's why Paul says this. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live because of Jesus who died for me and gave his life up for me. It ain't me. Oh, my gosh. But notice this. (laughs) Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Where's Lori? Jonathan. What does this just remind you of? Intro to theology. We're learning it about right now. Remember the antecedent? Something has to come before the action. There's always a cause before the action. The reaction is working out your own salvation in fear and trembling. But the antecedent is God is already working inside of you. Because you can't work out if God doesn't work in. They be learning stuff in RLC. Let me tell you, relevant leadership, God, we be breaking the scripture down. I got a text from Lori. She was like, page 176 through 177. Oh, my gosh. We blowing minds. God must work in us before he can work through us. And can I tell you, we cannot be the people God has called to fulfill the purposes through our lives that we're supposed to without first the Holy Spirit working something out inside of us. So let me tell you. Many of us say, man, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian. It it just feels like so hard to have to do all these things, and, and God has all these expectations of us. How am I supposed to be perfect? Because you know what God says? Be holy, for I am holy. God, I can't be you. Did you forget? I need you. It's hard. It's a weight being a Christian, Pastor Zach. Because I've, I've got to follow the Word of God. And, and if I'm honest, sometimes following the Word of God is scary. Because I don't know what I'm going to encounter in front of me. And sometimes God says, move, but then I see nothing but a roadblock in front of me. I see nothing but obstacles in front of me. I see nothing but pressure inside of me. And now I've got to move forward. And like, God, you've called me by your name and brought me into your family. And now you're telling me to move forward, but you don't see that thing in front of me? Where's Dustin in Denver at? Come up here. I need y'all. I need y'all help. See, many of us. Are like my seven-year-old. Before y'all come up on stage, give me one second. Just stand off to the stage real quick. Many of us are like my seven-year-old. My son loves to go to theme parks. 
He wants to go to Disney. He wants to go to Michigan's Adventure. By the way, for y'all Michiganders, it's Michigan's Adventure, not Michigan Adventures. It's not the same difference. My seven-year-old, he'll, he'll convince us, Dad, I want to go, I want to go. No, maybe you shouldn't go. You know, the youth are going, so let them go. No, can we go too? Can we go too? Can we go too? No, let the youth go do this. No, I want to go too. Or we're at Walt Disney. I want to go to this park. I want to do this. And you, you get there. I want to go. But then when he gets there and he sees how high the roller coasters are and how fast they move, and how big everything is, all of a sudden he's like, oh, I don't want to go. But I just paid $45,000 for you to get into this place. <laughs> You're going on a ride. I'm not going on a ride. I don't want to go. I just want to go home. You are not going home. I'm about to strap you in there. You worry about yourself. No, I'm worried about you, Rob. I'm worried about my pay. <laughs> the money I just spent. But we see what's in front of us and so scared. Come on, Denver. Dustin, come on. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna set something up. This, this is the Christian walk to us. So that's where you want to go. And you're praying for it. Hold on. Let me get this little stand real quick. Hold on. Uh, guy, I hope I don't break your stuff. Oh, that's your stuff, Dustin. Where's Jonathan Chitai? Come on, come on, come on. So you guys, you guys are right here. You guys are right here. Let me, let me put one of y'all right here. So Jonathan has been kind to this church, so he's going to play God today because he's, <laughs> he's benevolent. <laughs> he's going to be God. We become Christians. God, I want to live for you. God, I want to honor you. God, I want to be obedient to your word. Hey, God, I believe that you're taking me on a journey and I'm supposed to get there. So thank you, God, for creating this destination for me. And then we get here and we're like, but God, I can't go there. <laughs> it's scary over there. And, and, and we're like, but God, listen, I, I need you to come with me, okay? Get my back. Get my back. But no, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's hard to follow because you're asking me to do things that are going to hurt me. You're asking me to make decisions that are going to make me uncomfortable. You're asking me to go places where I'm going to encounter all types of pressure. God, I can't do it. It's hard being a Christian, y'all. Well, walk into, just read the word of God and follow it. Yeah, you know, I've read the word and God is asking us to make decisions. That, you know, God is asking us to take positions that are just, God, God, this is making me uncomfortable. Society is not going to accept me. My boyfriend is not going to want me anymore if I don't. My girlfriend is not going to think I am a man enough if I don't. I can't take a step because uh, if I try to start this new business, I'm going to fail because I'm going to encounter something that's going to push me back. God, why can't you go with me? Why can't you do this for me? And God is like, you haven't submitted. You keep trying to do it by yourself. Of course you're going to see what's in front of you. Of course you're a seven-year-old looking at roller coasters. 
Uh, let me tell you something. It's hard to be a Christian because we're not submitted. We don't have a submissive mind. But let me tell you what submission looks like. God, I want to get to there. And I know you've created a pathway for me to get to there. And I know there's some decisions that you want me to make. There's some situations that you want me to encounter. And can I tell you, God, I can't do it by myself. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to follow you. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but God, I'm going to follow you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. God, okay, God. Oh, oh, wow, that was awesome. Oh, my gosh, we got through that thing? Oh, my Lord. Guys, look at how God is working in my life. Look at the testimony of God's grace. And all of a sudden, I'm walking and I'm moving. And and I sit there and I'm like, I made it. I made it. Because I followed, I submitted myself, and I didn't try to lead the way and do it my own way. Can I tell you something? Point number two, when you surrender to the power of God within you, obedience becomes a delight, not a battle. See, when you're trying to do it all by yourself, you're constantly coming up against roadblocks and pressures. That's when we start saying, man, being a Christian is hard, man. Uh, God asked me to follow him. This is hard. He's asked me to do things that I can't do. He's asked me to abstain from things that I can't do. Ah, I just can't do it. I just have to kind of like figure it all out. But when God says, hey, listen, submit to me, follow me, all of a sudden, the things that I thought were hard are no longer hard anymore. Because he's leading the way. Come on, let's give it up for people. Let's give it up for these guys. The day you walk in submission, let me challenge somebody in this room today. The day you walk in submission, and y'all listening to me, if you think being a Christian is hard, and let me tell you, it's not easy. Let me not lie to you. It is not easy. It's true. It's hard to be a Christian. That's why we have to be fully submitted to following God and just being obedient to his word. Because when we're obedient to his word, all of a sudden, obedience is no longer a burden, but it comes a blessing. The day you walk in submission is the day you will be empowered to live with power and joy. And many of us do not live with the joy of the Lord, with the power of the Lord, with the manifestation of Holy Spirit in our lives because we don't live in submission to the word of God. We're always trying to explain away the Bible. Well, he didn't really mean that. Well, he didn't really say that. I mean, that's how you interpret it, but the way I interpret it, I, I don't know. Like, And then come to find out, you ain't even reading what you're saying you're interpreting. Do you understand that the average Christian is probably more biblically illiterate than the average scholar in the Bible? But yet, these people are reading the Bible to figure out what it says when God has given you the Bible to understand who he is. And that's the saddest thing for me. Christians don't read their Bibles. How do you think you are going to survive in this broken world without understanding the heart of God, without understanding the purpose of what's at play? 
How, how do you think you're going to navigate the pain and the stresses and the pressures when you don't know that you are loved with a 66-letter love letter, 66-book love letter that has been written for you so that you can understand him, so you can understand yourself? If you don't understand who God is, you will never understand who you are. That's why we got individuals flipping and changing and becoming whatever the heck they frick they want because they don't understand who they were created to be. They don't understand the God who loves them, who has created a pathway for them and a purpose for them. While you were in your womb, I knew you. Before you were even delivered, I had a plan and a purpose for you. But if we're not reading the word of God, we're going to create whatever reality that we want as false as it is. So can I tell y'all Christians in this room, if you're not reading your Bible and you consider yourself a Christian, you're the seven-year-old who's going to be standing in front of roller coasters. Because this world is hard. And if you don't understand the God who loves you and is for you and the purpose that he has placed in your life, you will crumble when the pressures of the world hit. That wasn't even in my notes, but it's part of what I'm saying anyway. So let me ask you a question. In terms of obedience, where are you needing to surrender? Where are you busy explaining scripture away or saying people don't understand and people don't understand the pressures in your life? Where are you not just saying, you know what, God said it, and that's it? God's purpose in your life first starts with a work in before a work out. And there's three ways that God releases power in your life for you to live on purpose with purpose in the direction that he's led. I'll talk about one. I've already mentioned a couple. There's three ways. I'm going to just give them to you, then I'm going to actually unpack one. If you want to know how God empowers your life, if you want to know how to really connect with God and know God and know the heart of God and allow him to work in you, if you want to know how to allow God to work in your heart, it begins with the word of God. Second, it begins with prayer. I'm not talking about those quick, oh, God, thank you for waking me up this morning. Be with me. Amen. Those work too. But like extended times where like, God, I want to have a conversation with you. Where I'm going to talk and I'm going to share my heart with you. And then I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. And the third way God works in you is through suffering. We don't like that. We think Christians are supposed to be immune from suffering. Let me just unpack the word of God just a little bit more. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This is Paul again writing to a different church, the church in Thessalonica. And he says this, and we also thank God constantly for this, 
that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I think we had this text, guys. Jose, you see the text that we had? I'm going to read it again because it wasn't on the screen. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Notice he says the exact same word, at work in you. For it is God who works within you. When you read the word of God and you accept the word of God, it begins to be at work in you. God's divine energy is released through his word. You tracking with me? The same word that spoke the universe into being can be released as divine power in your life. Do you understand why it's so quiet in this room? Because half of us don't believe it. Half of us have not fully grasped that the same power that created the cosmos, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that did the miraculous is the same power that you have access to in your life. And that is accessible when you become familiar and intimate with the word that produces the power. Why are Christians living powerless? And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Because they're not saturated in all or enlightened in any shape or form by the word of God. And we say, it's just too hard to understand. Remember, it is God at work in you. Just read it. He'll figure it out. You know how many times I've read the Bible as a preacher and read something and be like, I don't get it. And then I read the commentary. I'm like, nah, bro, you was reaching on that one. But then all of a sudden, at some point in time, it just wells up inside of me. I'm like, I got it. It makes sense. I just did that in RLC, didn't I? About a week ago. I was like, y'all, this blew my mind. For the first time ever, I read this, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is incredible. Why? Because it is at work in you. Point number three, if you, if you want to follow along, we have to appreciate the word. That's where it starts. When we're encountering the word of God, we have to appreciate the word. It's not just a good book, people. And, you know, old school folk, I was like, oh, you know, the good book. You know, when I pick up the good book, let me tell you, it's not a good book. These aren't just words of men. I need you guys to have a, a clear understanding of what the word of God is. It is unique. 
It is unlike anything ever that has ever existed on the face of the planet. Let me tell you, this word is inspired by God. It holds the authority of God. Unless you wonder sometimes, it is infallible because the God of all infallibility is the author and the finisher of this text. The Bible will never lead you astray. It will never tell you to do what you're not supposed to do. And I know people have used the Bible to use it for their own purposes. Slavery was used, uh, and, and the Bible was used to, to, to enslave people. The Bible was used for all types of atrocity. That is the heart of men. That is not the heart of God. Because when you read and submit your life to this word, there's no way you can dehumanize or treat anybody less than because you see the value and the the image of God. Can I tell you something else? If you know the Word of God, there's not a day in your life where you will say, I can't identify as the gender that God created me to be. Let me just be real. I'm not pushing and hurting somebody. I'm telling you, when you read the Word of God and understand God's love and His purpose for your life, you will never look at this thing and say, I can't be who I am because this Word tells us who we are, whose we are, how we are, and how we can meet Him. This ain't just a good book. And if you're dealing with gender identity issues, it's okay. I deal with my own issues. I'm a sinner who is saved by grace just like you. And we are on a journey together. I'm not here to judge you or condemn you. I'm telling you, because of this word, there's things in my own life where I got to be, I can't do that. I can't be that. I can't want that. Because that's not what God wants for me. And so we all got to live submitted to the Word of God. We have to appropriate, we have to appreciate the Word. Next, we've got to appropriate the Word. Appropriate the Word means you have to receive it. You guys have heard of the term like cultural appropriation and all that. What that means is taking somebody else's culture and holding it as your own and doing things that, you know, where you, you identify as that culture. That, that's what we got to do with the Bible. We've got to appropriate the word of God. We've got to make it mean more to us than just something that we read. We have to receive it. This is more than reading and studying. Can I tell you, reading the Bible is not a class to pass. It's a vocation to master. You know when you're studying for a test or you, you're in a class, come on students, you know this. Anybody who's in college, you just, you, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to pass this. I ain't got to think about it next semester. It's gone. I, I hated history. All I got to, what, what I got to do? Get a C, a C minus. Well, C's get degrees, baby, let's go. And I know, <laughs> they're like, yes, Jesus. The pastor said C's get degrees. Mama, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> the Bible is not a class to pass. It's a being to cultivate. It's an experience to live out. It's a vocation 
to master. This is supposed to transform our lives. Now that it's in you, God's word is spiritual food to the spiritual part of you, what physical food is to the physical part of it. You cannot live without food. You cannot be a believer without believing in the word of God. So we got to appreciate the word, then we've got to appropriate the word, then we have to apply the word. See, this is the part we don't like. Let's just be real. This part we don't like. I believe that this Bible is unique, Dana. I'll appropriate the word. But now I got to apply it in every area of my life? How about, what, what about just the time when I'm at church on Sunday? How about only when I'm serving? I've got to apply it when my coworker comes into my face and talking that mess, and I just want to tell them about themselves. I got to apply the word of God when everything around me is going crazy. And I want to take it to Facebook. I got to apply the word of God in my relationship. When God says those who are sexually immoral will not make it to the kingdom. But yet I still want to have sex out of wedlock. I've got to apply the word in my marriage when God says submit one to another, but yet I'm the man and you're supposed to submit to your husbands. (laughs) Just go back two verses. (laughs) He says submit one to another. You submit, she submits. We all give a little. We have to apply the word. It has to be exercised. Now that it's in you, it's got to make its way out of you. Now that it's in you, it's got to make its way out of you. When we trust God's word and act on it, God's power is released in our lives. That's why we say around here, if you show up in the natural, God will show out in the supernatural. For it is God who works within you to will and to do his good pleasure. Can I tell you, if we're going to see miracles take place in this house, if we're going to see a miracle offering take place, if we're going to see thousands of people come to faith in Jesus, if we are going to see a revival on the high school football field led by students, we're going to have to become men and women of the word who trust God, who honor God, who lives our word out. Is this sermon all right with y'all? I'm going to be done here soon. I'll be done very soon. 
Verse 14, come on, we, we got to finish this up. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Woo, I wanted to preach this so bad. I, Holy Spirit was like, simmer down, Muta. I'm like, but God, this is that word. He was like, chill. You are in the flesh, young man. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do all things without grumbling and Uh, do, is it on the word? Do all things without grumbling or? <sighs> A.K.A. Stop whining. I love this. this is a Holy Spirit mic drop. They even put a comma in the people who were editing the scripture. They put a comma right there like we're going to pause on this one right quick. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Stop being a freaking whiner. We're going to talk about why. He's like, man, listen, I need you to stop with these expressions of discontent or divisive behavior. Can I tell you guys something? The submissive mind has no reason to grumble or be discontent because the single mind within him knows that whether good or bad, God is at work, is working it all out for my good and his glory. Now, he's talking about in the context of the faith community. And he's also talking about reminding us to stay in unity. Quit whining and complaining about being in community with people different from you, who think differently from you, who have different expectations than you. Stop whining. Stop with the division. Remember we talked about that last week? You can't be complaining about everything, y'all. And y'all complain about everything. I know. I, you know what? I see why pastors get off of Facebook. <laughs> because some of y'all are just a bunch of whiny, discontent, divisive troublemakers. Remember, I started this whole text with my beloved. <laughs> Y'all, my beloved. I love you. That's why I'm telling you this. But some of y'all whine way too much. <laughs> and can I tell y'all something? It makes us all look bad. Why do you think people have such a problem with Christians? Because we're just as miserable as everybody else in the world. I don't want to be a Christian. You complain about everything. Your life is not happy. You're always whining about this, about why this is not happening, about why this is happening. And people are like, nope, if you're a Christian, I want no part of it. It makes us all look bad, y'all. Can I just bring it home? Can I, can I take a little quick side note? I'm, I know I've run long, but Angie asked me to run a little longer yesterday. 
So it's her fault. Y'all get mad at her. She said five minutes. I got five more minutes. Devil's a lie. <laughs> Janiah, I done told you stop bullying me, young lady. Can I tell y'all something? One of the best things about this house is regroup. Regroup is where church begins. Regroup is where real life community happens. Regroup is where we are encouraged, we come together as the body of Christ and grow, gather in Christ, grow in community and are compelled to go to the culture. But let me tell y'all something. Some of y'all done turn regroup into your soapbox. Some of y'all have turned regroup into your therapy session. Can I tell you real quick? Regroup is not your therapy. Get a therapist. <laughs> My beloved. <laughs> I love you. I really do. Regroup is an opportunity for you to exercise and grow and stretch your faith. When you get in your regroup, yeah, share with some of your challenges, but ask somebody, hey, I'm dealing with this little thing. Speak into it. Give me life about it. Don't sit there and take 15 minutes complaining about why everything is going amiss in your life. Don't nobody want to hear about that. If you want to ask for a sidebar with somebody who's a part of your regroup and say, hey, I need you to just hold space for me for a little bit, and I just need to like kind of vent and, and, and share with you. At the end of it, we're going to pray together. I'm going to let it go, and it's going to be over. Regroup is not your space to do that. Regroup is a space where we come together, and we encourage, we learn the word of God, and we build each other up. So I've told every regroup leader, and I'm telling every regroup member, somebody starts whining in your Regroup. I need you to pull out Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do you have the single mind? Because if you had the single mind, you would realize that half the crap that's going on in your life ain't got nothing to what God has planned for you. It says this light and momentary afflictions are incomprehensible, incomprehensible. They're not even compared to the weight of eternal glory that we're going to have. Okay, I'm back on the message now. You can't be complaining about everything, friends. Why? You've got to work out your own salvation because God has you on a mission. God has a purpose in your life, and that we as a community of faith are supposed to accomplish together. Can I tell you something? Unsaved people should be the ones complaining and finding fault. Why? Because their purpose is temporal, but Christians should rejoice. Why? Because we have the word of God, we have a single mind, and our purpose is eternal. If God be for me, who can be against me? What can be against me? No weapon formed against me will prosper. What am I over here whining about? 
Can I tell you, the way of the world stands in opposition to God. We are supposed to be blameless and innocent. Hold on, where's that? Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What did I say? The way of the world stands in opposition to God. We're supposed to be blameless and innocent. The way of the world is a crooked and twisted generation. We're supposed to be humble, generous, and kind. The way of the world is dark. We are supposed to be the light of the world. Notice we're not running from the world, but we're running to the world so that we can bring light into the world and not darkness. When people around you see you or experience you, do they see yet another blemish and dark spot in the world? Or do they see light? Remember how everybody in Scripture had a moniker? You had so-and-so, the encourager. James and John, sons of thunder. This one, the beloved. Let me ask you something. When people think about you and when people see you, see your posts, hear your conversation, are they saying, here goes another dark spot in the world? Here goes another blemish in society. Blemish in the world. Are they literally seeing this like, man, no matter what this person is going through, because I know their world. They're always giving out encouragement. They're always giving out hope. They're always sharing peace. I mean, I love, you know what? When I wake up in the morning, I go to this person's post just so that I could be encouraged. Can I tell you, I was talking about Dana the other day. I said, Dana posts like 32 times a day. <laughs> she does. It's okay. But you know what I love about Dana's posts? 98% of them, maybe even 99, are all encouraging. If I want a word for the day, I'm going to go to Dana's Facebook page. Because there's going to be something that's going to be posted that's going to be encouraging. That's going to bless my spirit. I know that she believes that she's supposed to be the light of the world. And so when she posts online, she's posting the light of the world. She's pointing people to Jesus. She's pointing people to encouragement. And pointing people to the love of God. When people are experiencing you, are they experiencing another blemish and a dark spot in the world? Or are they experiencing light? Last couple of verses. Holding fast to the word of life. How do you, how do you become the light in this world? Hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the gospel. That's what he's saying. Because if you really take hold of the gospel, you will recognize it ain't as bad as it ultimately is. Yes, it feels bad in the moment. But hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. My Savior's cross 
has set me, that sinner, free. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Oh, Christ, be praised. No matter what I'm going through, I have victory. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all should be glad and rejoice in me. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up. Holding fast to the word of life, the gospel gives us life. The gospel gives us joy. The gospel gives us peace. The gospel is a reminder that we are loved, that we are cared for, that we are saved, that we are redeemed, that there is a hope beyond this mess that we live in. And I love what he says here. He says that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in labor or in vain. Can I tell you, this is such a pastoral statement. The most devastating experience we experience as pastors is pastoring people with unpenetrated hearts. Individuals who you labor for, encourage, preach the word of God over, walk alongside in some of the deepest, darkest moments, and then at the drop of a dime, they prove to you that it didn't stick. They walk away go back into sin, or worse yet, they stick around and raise their hands and worship every weekend, yet you know that their life is unredeemed, unrepentant, unchanged. It is a burden. Paul is saying, man, listen, I need y'all to quit the grumbling, quit the whining, be of the same mind, take a submissive mind, serve one another, love one another, so that when we get to glory, I can see everybody who I preach to made it alongside with me. I don't want to get to heaven and find out that 90% of relevant church didn't make it. It is a grievous thing to know that when I'm preaching the Word of God, there's people in here whose hearts are so cold and so not tuned to anything that I'm sharing. That they'll sit there and they'll, they'll worship. Some even may join a regroup. Some may even serve. But yet their life is lived in rebellion to God. Can I tell you, Paul's vulnerability and realness is the fear of every pastor. So no, I can't preach to y'all the smooth things. No, I can't encourage every time you come to church on Sunday, tell you, you're doing good. God's for you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. All you've got to do, just believe. I can't do that. Because even the demons believe. I've got to hold you accountable to the word of God. This is the word of life. This is the word of truth. This is the only thing that is going to change and multiply your life in such a way that it's going to bring hope to the humanity around you and to peace in your own life. 
I can't tell you that everything you're doing is okay. God knows your heart. Let me tell you, God has expectations for all of us. We are called to greater. We're called to come as we are. Authenticity is the only requirement. But another one of our culture codes is doing what it takes. I'm going to have to do what it takes to grow and mature and start to begin to live out this faith. But I want you all to catch this. This is what he says. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Even if I'm poured out, even if I die at the altar of sacrifice for the sake of serving you, I'll rejoice and be glad. Even if I lose everything for the sake of the gospel, I will rejoice and be glad. Can I ask you something? If you lost everything you love for the sake of the gospel, would you rejoice and be glad? Some of y'all have a bad day and forget about the gospel. Some of y'all have a bad encounter with your child and all of a sudden, oh, hell's done broke loose. I didn't raise him right. Life is hard. Some of y'all, listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching just to you. What did it say? When you point one finger, I'm pointing three fingers right back at me. I am a complainer by nature. Hello, my name is Muta and I'm a grumbler. Chief Extraordinaire, Chairman and CEO of the board. I can complain with the best of them. He says, even if I die serving you, I will rejoice and be glad. Even if I lose it all, I'll rejoice and be glad. And check this out. In the very next statement, he says, likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Two verses that describe suffering. Paul is still pointing to gladness and joy. Why is that? Because sacrifice and service are marks of the submissive mind. And the submissive mind experiences joy even in the midst of suffering. I have one final question for you to ponder on. Are you living submitted? Are you living submitted? Are you living submitted? 
Paul lived submitted and experienced joy in times of trial. Jesus lived submitted, and in Hebrews 12, it tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Having, sub having a submissive mind means that believing that God's word is to be trusted and his promises are sure. Are you living submitted? Can I tell you, life is a series, is not a series of ups and downs. For the believer, life is not a series of ups and downs. Rather, it is a sequence of ins and outs. God working in and you working out. The trials, God working in, you working out. Prayer, God working in, you working out. The Word of God, God working in, and you working out. Are you living submitted? The example is clear. This comes from Christ. The example is Jesus Christ. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. And the result is joy. Joy. Let me tell somebody in this room today, the greatest place to start your submission is submitting to Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but as Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you know what the promise is? All those God has given Jesus, he will never lose one. Meaning, no matter what happens in your life as a believer, you always will be safe in the hands of Jesus. reason Paul uses that illustration of Jesus emptying himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in human form, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know what that is saying? Jesus has already led the way. Your sins are paid for. Your shortcomings, he's built the bridge. Where you fail, he completes you. However, 
there's a condition. You must believe in Jesus. You must confess that he is Lord. You must repent of your sins. Admit your incapability of being able to appease the God of heaven and earth and accept Jesus as your worthy sacrifice for your sins. Which means he must not only be Savior, but he has to be Lord of your life. Single mind recognizes Jesus died for my sins. Submissive mind said he is now Lord over my life. And I want to give an opportunity for somebody in here. Maybe you've walked saved. I know who Jesus is. I know he died for my sins. But can I tell you that song, Hope Has a Name, his name is Jesus. My Savior's cross has set the sinner free. It goes on, it says, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Christ be praised, I have the victory because I'm living submitted to him. He is now taking my life and restoring it, renewing it, and creating it brand new. All who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. He is not only my savior, he is now the Lord who dictates every move, every thought, every want, every wish, every plan in my life. If you you said yes to Jesus, but you've actually never made him Lord over your life. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, God, I want you to be Lord. You need to take, I see your hand. Thank you. You're saying today, you know what? I've done it my own way. I believed in you, but today I am going to believe you. That if I follow you, you have the master plan. God, you saw every hand that went up. God, you know what's in the life of each individual. You know the burdens they carry. You know the tension points that they face. Lord, I pray today will move beyond just being a saved Christian. But today, they're going to be committed to be a submissive Christian. A submitted Christian. One who not only believes in you, but believes you and will trust you at your word. One who's going to trade in the grumbling and the divisive conversation. The discontentment. And trade it in for the hope of glory. For the passion 
of Jesus for the mission of God. Seal their commitment in you. May today be a new beginning and a new refreshing that leads to joy everlasting. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.